Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. All right, Easter Sunday. Today is when we celebrate the accomplishments of Christ, including his sinless life, his death on the cross, and finally his resurrection from the dead. And I'm excited and happy to do that with you this morning. Uh, We'll be in one text this morning, and only one text, and so if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we'll be in John 3, verse 16. And many of us may find this text familiar, and I hope we pull something new out of it today. We see something new and fresh. And we're going to go through some things uh, that are, uh, I think, in the background, assumptions of this text And for those things, uh, I just want to make a couple caveats. If you are a devout Christian, then hopefully this will strengthen, these things will strengthen your faith and help you in uh, evangelism and reaching out to others. Um, If you're someone who has questioned or is questioning and has doubts about your faith, I hope this will strengthen you. Um, If anyone in the room or anyone watching online is someone who has not made a decision to follow Christ and doesn't know about Uh, some of the reasons for God's existence or why Jesus came. I hope uh, those things will encourage you and and help you consider more along those lines. So John 3.16, and I read from the ESV, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a lot to unpack here in this verse, and the first thing we notice is the subject of this verse is God. And in the Gospel of John, God is defined to be the Father of Jesus, as it is in this verse. This God is the God of the Old Testament. Many people call him Yahweh. And here in this passage, and indeed throughout the entire Bible, the assumption is that God exists. So for someone new to Christianity or new to the idea of the Bible, we must recognize that that is our first barrier with this verse. Who is this God? Does he exist? And if so, which God? Uh, When I was uh, thinking about this, I I thought about the atheist comedian Penn Jillette of Penn & Teller. Uh, He's a a rabid atheist, but he once said this about telling others about God, and I think you'll see its importance about the existence of God as well. He said, I don't respect that, and it's in the context of not sharing your religious beliefs at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist, now he's pointing at his own group, atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. He continues, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So what I like about this quote is I think it highlights the importance, the gravity of this question, does God exist? And in the general noise of life, it can be easy to find a rhythm in the things of the world. You grow up, you go to school, maybe you go to college, you get a job. Maybe you find a career that you keep your whole life. I didn't. I'm on my third or fourth career right now. (laughs) Hopefully this will be the last one, though. (laughs) You find a spouse. Uh, Maybe you have kids. You buy a house. 
unless you're a millennial or younger, right? Uh, you retire, you travel, and so on. You get into this rhythm of life. And we have to consider that at the end of the day, some of us get 20 years on this planet, some of us get 90. And yet, according to this ancient text, the most important, powerful being in the universe is offering us eternal life. Way more than 20 or 90 years. So, does God exist? Well, I'm not going to be up here if I didn't believe so. <laughs> uh, there are many, uh, I think, evidences for God's existence. Uh, here are a few examples, and we have a slide up here that shows a couple of them. Uh, the cosmological argument, basically the idea that the universe had a beginning, means it has to have a cause. Uh, the argument for morality, uh, everyone in the world seems to have some of the same uh, moral compass, and so that seems to point to a God. Um, evolution can't really explain that. Uh, what about your powerful personal testimony? Many of us who have uh, walked with Christ, we've seen our lives transform. And throughout the New Testament, that is one of the things that's frequently pointed to over and over again as proof of God's existence, proof of the resurrection of Jesus, is our personal testimony of what God has done for us. And the final one is the inspiration of Scripture. And this morning, I wanted to give you two examples about the inspiration of Scripture that I hope will help answer this question. Uh, many of you here know that I'm a nerd. Those of you who don't know me well, this may be your first time hearing it, but I've said it many times and I'll say it again. I'm a nerd. That's just, that's who I am. I, uh, I don't uh, try to hide that fact at all. And so I'm going to give you a nerdy couple of examples from the Bible. In Genesis 17 and Leviticus 12, God commands his people to circumcise all male children on the eighth day. Uh, this might seem... Uh, sort of like a random thing, right? Like he just threw a, a dart at the dartboard and eighth day, right? Uh, but what's really interesting about that is, is that there are two essential blood clotting elements, uh, vitamin K and something called prothrombin. Oh, that's hard to say. You want prothrombin? Can anyone? Prothrombin. I don't know. I've practiced it a lot. I still don't feel good about it. Anyway, vitamin K is not formed in the body until day five to seven, Prothrombin gets to 30% of normal level by day three. It peaks at 100% of normal on day eight and then levels off at normal. So I think there's a chart up here, and I borrowed it from evidenceforthebible.com, a similar chart. And what it shows you is any day before day eight, if you went to circumcise a male child, there could be serious medical consequences for that decision. What's interesting about this is we have texts of Genesis and Leviticus that are 1,500 years old. Uh, but the text itself probably goes back 2,000 years before that. So you're talking about a text that's 3,500 years old. Now, how many of you want to guess when we discovered these exact, uh, this exact evidence? 1930s. In the 1930s. Uh, a couple of uh, guys discovered this, and actually they won the Nobel Prize for discovering these clouding factors. So you're talking about 3,500 years between the giving of this revelation and the scientific discovery that backs up why God said the eighth day. I think for me that's pretty good proof that the Bible's inspired. Now the next example might hit a little bit more close to home for us because I know that the Q word, quarantine, has become a little bit of a dirty word. Thanks, COVID. But another example of this is found in Leviticus 13, when God tells the people of Israel to quarantine uh, during uh, certain diseases. 
He also tells them to do uh, similar things like hand washing, quarantining after battle, uh, cleaning off your swords and other metals after battle, and so on. And again, all of these things to us don't seem weird because we live in the wake of germ theory, which was discovered in the last 200 years. But think about an ancient text describing what we just did through COVID. How surprising is that? I think it's really surprising. Thousands of years before germ theory, God was telling his people how to survive. So that gives me strong proof in the inspiration of Scripture and therefore the existence of God. Returning back to John 3, the second thing that we learn in John 3.16 is that not only does this God exist, but that he so loves the world. And the world here in the Gospel of John frequently is a reference to people. God has always valued humanity. We can actually see this in the first chapter of the Bible in the book of Genesis. We find that God highly values humanity to the point of asking them to take dominion over his good creation. He entrusts them to take over, take dominion of his creation. Now, again, this might not sound weird to us, especially those of us who have heard the gospel before, but I'm going to tell you, if you take Genesis 1 and you compare it to the ancient Babylonian texts, the ancient Egyptian texts, you don't get a picture of a God who wants to partner with humanity. You get picture of weird, vengeful gods, plural, who want to subjugate humanity. It's a completely different story. And so, when we compare Genesis with the other ancient texts, we find a God who always loved humanity and always wanted to bless the world through his kings and queens, his, his humans. And in, in other words, God wanted a family to love and to enjoy the good things that he created. The third thing that we learn in John 3.16 is that for God, loving us meant giving his son Jesus. Here in this text, it's a euphemism for Jesus' death, which John will go on and describe later in his gospel. And of course, it's also recorded in the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When we think about Jesus' death, there's a lot to talk about and a lot to consider, and today we don't, just don't have time for that. Uh, but the simplest thing I can say about it is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.3, which is, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus lived a sinless life and was able to redeem us through his death. And this is what we call atonement, or the gospel of the cross. We talked about atonement in our theology on tap on Friday night. There's a lot of ways to look at atonement. It's really interesting. But the point is, is that Jesus' death and resurrection were important for us in that it enabled a new era, a new way of living. And for me personally, knowing that a, the new way of living is possible, it motivates me every day to become more and more like Christ. I am not perfect. You know, we are not going to be perfect, but we can all strive to be faithful. The final thing that we learned from John 3.16 is that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. Now these are the very stakes that Penn Jillette was mentioning before. And he mentioned heaven and hell specifically. And I just want to point out that, and maybe this is weird for you, but, and if you haven't heard this before, but I don't believe in either one of these things specifically. I don't believe in heaven specifically or hell specifically. In this specific text, it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, should not perish. 
And so instead of hell, what I hold is I hold a view called annihilationism, which is called the second death in other texts of scripture. And so it is eternal separation from God. It's just not conscious. Notice also that heaven is not mentioned here, but eternal life. Now this phrase is interesting because in our English Bibles, for years and years and years, they've always translated it as eternal life. But literally in the Greek, it would be translated life in the age. Life in the age. And there's a word that we could supply there to make it come into English a little bit better. Life in the coming age. Well, what is the coming age? The, ki- the coming age is the kingdom of God. And in its fullness, the kingdom of God is the restored earth and heavens a reference in other parts of the Bible. Now, I will say this. If you want to know more about the kingdom of God, we just finished a 12-part series on the kingdom of God. <laughs> you can also check out resources from the Bible Project and scholars N.T. Wright and Richard Middleton. They all talk about the kingdom of God as a restored earth. So when Jesus comes back, God will restore the earth and the heavens, ushering in an era of peace, prosperity, and love. Paradise will exist again on earth with no more death, pain, and suffering. So the thing I'm trying to point out here is that the good news of Christianity is not just eternal life, because eternal life, life like we live it right now, we may not want eternal life. This is eternal life not on this earth with these problems, with these frailties, with these sicknesses. It's life in a completely interesting, pain-free, trauma-free environment. There are literally no words to describe it. We cannot fathom it. John 3.16 does not mention it specifically, but in the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus dies. And then in John 20, Jesus is raised from the dead to die no more. This same resurrection is promised to those who believe in Jesus. I was talking to the elders this week about uh, what I was talking about today, and Jerry, who prayed earlier, said something really cool. He said, when we accept Christ and receive the Spirit, that is the first day of our eternal life. That's the first day of our eternal life. I hope that we can live like that, live in light of that. Another way to think about this is because Jesus lives, we can live transformed lives. We can live in a way that anticipates what eternity in paradise will look like. What does that look like? It looks like loving our enemies and our neighbors. It looks like fighting for justice. It looks like carrying peace with us wherever we go. We don't have to wait for eternity to experience at least some of the goodness that God has for us. We have the joy to be part of God's solution in the here and now for this imperfect world. And this is really the response that we should have to the good news about Jesus. God expects us to follow his son. And that is what the Christian church on a larger scale exists to do, to help people follow Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why our motto here at Compass is following Jesus together. And while it is true that you can follow Christ without attending church or a Bible study, it is definitely easier to walk this path with others. So my exhortation today is to take the time to answer the most important questions in life. Don't let the things that can distract us, whether it's our jobs or our families or TV or movies or video games, whatever the case might be, don't let those distractions keep us from asking and answering the most important questions in life. Does God exist? And if so, what does he want from us? What does he expect me to do?
Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.